From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Colin Donovan. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. And we're very glad that you are with us for Open Line Friday here on EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Jack Williams away today. I'm Tom Price. Uh, blessed to be with my friend, uh, Open Line Friday host, Mr. Colin Donovan. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. And I was just reminiscing the other day because I came across some uh, some of my notes that I had drafted up for program radio programs we recorded in the 90s. Wow. For the uh, great jubilee, I remember, remember those I things. I sure do. And you were you were a newbie producer at EWTN at least. Yes. And uh, yes, uh, was involved in that with me. And uh, that was fun. That was back when we were at the uh, shortwave transmitter site. Our studios were up there on, as Michael Warsaw says, Radiation Ridge. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yes, I think that's when I started to lose my hair. As, yeah. As, 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 but, but yeah, I, I remember that very clearly. You were uh, very dutiful coming up to the radio studios there and, and recording all that in anticipation for the Jubilee year. And the program was called The Great Jubilee. The Great Jubilee. And we the, the Pope had issued uh, the three letters, one for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as preparation as well as uh, uh, toward the, new, the third millennium was uh, the main principal document. And we followed his schema. Uh, that was our effort. Beautiful. But those those were uh, we were both uh, we were both young in multiple senses in those sure. days, young at EWTN and younger in other senses. There you go. <laughs> so, well, today here we are to uh, 2023. We're here to answer your questions about the Catholic faith at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Perhaps you have a perhaps you have a question of a theological interest or bent. Love to hear from you at 833 833- 288-EWTN. If you're listening to us outside of North America, please dial 1 and then 205-271-2985. Or you can shoot us an email if you prefer, openline at EWTN.com, openline at EWTN.com. Be sure you put theology in the subject line or Colin or Friday, something that'll make sure we get the right question to the right host. And we were just talking uh, before we went on the air that uh, once again, EWTN is uh, offering a free family celebration. And this year, unlike last year, uh, it's going to be right here in Birmingham. That's right. It's uh, our old practice. But Pre-COVID, as uh, people may remember, is we'd be out of town one year and in town another here at the BJCC. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll be doing that the last weekend in August. Uh, mm-hmm. It'll be a one-day event. Uh, historically, we have done two days, but we found... Things generally ha- have gone really well and was great crowds for one day. And so that's what we're doing on okay. that Saturday of that last weekend. And so uh, we're looking forward to that in, in the midst of all the preparation for, for that celebration. Uh, of course, we're in Mother Angelica's 100th anniversary year, so yes. it'll be special for that reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll have, uh, of course, speakers and religious catalog and and. And uh, radio people as yep. well. Uh, yep. So it's going to be, uh, if you've ever been to any of our family celebrations, it'll be a great event. And may I just say, and I won't elaborate, 
a few surprises. There might be some surprises for people, you I think know, that's nice. and uh, uh, that's that's good. But if you go to our website, ewtn.com, you can get the information on uh, uh, both what the event in- involves, and I believe they already have uh, the save the date uh, right. information on there, and some instructions uh, to as to how it will all go off. We will be there, and we hope that you will be as well. Got a question here from Ralph in the UK. Ralph says, when an individual has been diagnosed with OCD or scrupulosity, are they responsible for their sins in God's eyes? Because of the, uh, the elements of, that are necessary for mortal sin, at mm-hmm. least, the objectively grave matter, mm-hmm. uh, freedom of intention, in other words, having sufficient moral freedom to be able to willingly choose to offend God in a serious matter, or if it's in a slight matter, if you're uh-huh. just talking about venial sin. Uh, and that would be the point under discussion, whether people who have mental health issues, who have depression, uh, and other things like that, the degree of moral responsibility. So object- things can be objectively wrong, but the person not free uh, because of some something affecting his will interiorly that would prevent him from uh, fully choosing that particular act. Force of habit. So a person who's trying to get over a very bad habit, they're operating Mm -hmm. a little bit in automatic. They're struggling against that. That would be another uh, uh, characteristic apart from, say, uh, OCD or uh, ADHD. ADHD. ADHD or any of those kinds of uh, issues. Yeah, God factors it all in. He does. And in fact, in many ways, well, not in many, in in all ways, he is the only one who can make that judgment because, you know, as we're told in Scripture, we don't know ourselves even, but only the Holy Spirit who, you know, plunges to our own depths. So we leave those judgments to God. And the main thing is to always keep his mercy front and center because scrupulosity and other things generally come about as a result of too great a concern. One can even say there's the element of ego in there, that my sins have offended God too greatly. Mm -hmm. Even if they have, let's just speculate in a particular case, that, that that judgment is true. Even if they have, God is prepared to forgive you. And that is why to the moment of our death, the moment of our last consciousness where we can repent, God is willing to accept us back into his arms. So we should never worry about that. Yeah. We should never let us, you know, if you have doubts about the character of sin, mention it in confession to clear your mind. Uh, but don't worry about being able to get forgiveness because of that. But it's certainly true. It great. It can greatly mitigate according to the degree of, mm-hmm. of, of the impact of a condition uh, on the will. And uh, Ralph in the UK, thank you so much for your email. Here's one now from Mick. Is a confession still valid if the priest rushes you or misspeaks the words of absolution? If he said, I absolve you, you're absolved. The words of absolution in terms of the, the essential elements are to do that. There are longer prayers associated with his, his obligation to mm. say those prayers. Mm-hmm. He can be excused in, when there's a great number of penitents and so on. But as far as your absolution, uh, it is in his intention to absolve, and the words express that intention. So uh, I, another area where I wouldn't worry about it, that, that God uh, doesn't hold us accountable for that. 
And so uh, the sufficiency of that is usually quite, if he says, you know, I hold you unaccountable for your sins or something that is clearly not the form of the, of the sacrament, mm. then you would be getting into validity questions. Sure, sure. Lines yeah. are filling up right now, but there's available uh, availability for you at 833-288-EWTN if you have a question for Colin Donovan. 833-288-3986. Here's one from Jed. How can a person overcome addictions to sin. I pray and it doesn't go away. Well, you know, we were just talking about habits in, in the context of, uh, you know, mental, mental issues or, or neurological issues. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's those kinds of things prevent us from nece- necessarily being able to make the good habits. But if we don't have those, it's just often a very long slog of overcoming the bad habits which mm. cause us to sin, you know, gossip or sexual sin or whatever it is. You know, making up one mind not to do it, you fall, you recover, you go back, you get repent, you're forgiven, and you do this. You may do it again and again and again. This is sadly the human condition in our fallen state. Yeah. But you keep doing it, and eventually you build up the habit of of doing good acts as opposed to acts which are, are are morally not good. And so it's just keep plugging away. Uh, if we expect our prayers to be miraculously heard with a special grace, that is not the ordinary way God can do that. Look at the conversion of St. Paul. Uh, he had to be given this, uh, this vision of Christ, and he was converted instantly. But those are the rare things. The yeah. normal thing for Catholics is the the you know going peacefully and prayerfully through the things which are required to rebuild the virtue which we have lost by our sin because sin tears it down mm-hmm. good acts builds it up until we have acquired the the moral virtue sometimes i think i wonder if god is as sick of hearing my sins as i am of saying the same sins in confession every time i go and uh, but you know he doesn't know. He, he wants me to be there. He, he, he wants to help. Well, if this will help, since God is eternal, before the universe existed, he knew all your sins. So he's not hearing anything he doesn't wow. know. Wow. So that should set you free. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And uh, Jed, thank you for your email. In a moment, we'll talk with Steve in California, Colette in Houston, Alicia in Denver. And there's a line open for you at 833-288-EWTN. 833-288-3986 for Open Line Friday. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Two lines are available to speak with Colin Donovan here on Open Line Friday, and that number again, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We're going to get to the phones in just a moment here. First, let me tell you about something wonderful available right now at EWTN's religious catalog, and my mouth is watering. Trapestine candy, maple, Mm -hmm. walnut, Panucci fudge. 
This, oh boy, this delicious candy is perfect gift for Mother's Day, birthdays, or any special holiday, or just because you want to surprise somebody. And you can feel good knowing each purchase supports Mount St. Abbey's, Mount St. Mary's Abbey, located in Rentham, Massachusetts, made with love and prayers by the nuns of Mount St. Mary's Abbey. The panucci is cooked in copper pots, blending locally produced maple syrup and local fresh cream with sugar butter and walnuts oh baby uh, <laughs> other other flavors available are chocolate and chocolate walnut each box is one pound of fudge that contains no preservatives and by the way i understand that these contain negative calories so the more you eat the more weight you lose. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's available right now at EWTNRC.com. Buy Catholic. Shop Catholic. EWTNRC.com. Now, I have an important question. Yes, sir. Are, are those four varieties, or is that all in the same fudge? Golly. Well, I'm seeing maple walnut is one flavor, and then there's chocolate, and then there's chocolate walnut. That, so, that, that sounds like a much better than all of those maybe in one. Yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> if uh, you're ready now, let's go to the phones <laughs> at 833-288-EWTN. We begin today with Colette. Colette is in Houston listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Colette, what's on your mind today? Hi, how are you guys doing today? Very well. Thanks for your call. What's up? My husband um, of almost 30 years was diagnosed uh, five years ago with a blood cancer. There's mm-hmm. no particular cure. There are a couple of treatment options. Um, he's been on a clinical trial for about five years. The chemo is brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, uh, he, he vacillates between staying on the chemo, it's losing its effectiveness right now. Staying on the chemo um, and just gutting it out another month. And this comes up every month. I feel like mm-hmm. there is no peace with where he is now yeah, we are yeah. cradle we are longtime catholics he's not a cradle catholic but longtime catholic we have raised six children um one's still in the home and we have a disabled daughter um so he lives for the kids he lives for mm-hmm. guiding them and supporting them um and for me but he's just i feel like he's never at peace but as the wife i'm not really good at getting to whatever i don't know if there's the root of this is just he doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to leave mm-hmm. us. Um, or if there's something more, because I, that's not how I think of the chemo, but this mm-hmm. is what his dilemma is. Do I stop? Do I, you know, do I just keep gutting it out? And it, but it's it's absolutely miserable to the point where I think this could even pull him further away because he is so distraught about it every month. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, um I mean, one aspect, obviously, nobody but he can gauge his tolerance for the pain, the difficulty, and the suffering that is associated uh, with not just uh, chemotherapy, but many other kinds of therapy in situations of, you know, horrendous accidents and life-sustaining treatment, which does barely more than life-sustain. All those questions the church within certain limits, leaves to the the individual and their tolerance. Because ultimately, it's a question is, yes, he is morally free under the circumstances of great suffering in that, you know, to say, I can't take any more. 
maybe to may, having made that decision to try uh, alternative therapies of which uh, which there are apparently mm. um, they may not be work but in the long term either but at least you're out of that phase of it so I don't think you can really substitute your judgment for him on that, but obviously your willingness to support him through whatever he chooses will be a great blessing to him and perhaps allow him to gut it out another month. This is the difficulty for people who realize they have responsibilities to others, you know, or uh, the... the uh, uh, the bread breadwinner in the family and mm-hmm. so on, mm-hmm. uh, and having to decide that other beyond the, even the relationships, but the that are in the family, which obviously you want to sustain as long as possible, but the financial dimensions of all of that. So the church says the individual can do gauge that, at which case the treatment becomes extraordinary means, which means it's morally extraordinary. Great pain, great suffering, great financial uh, cost, uh, great sorrow to the individual. These are the categories which the church generally thinks of that makes any medical procedure, or if you think about people who are on, who are on uh, equipment, keeping them alive, sure. keeping their heart going, keeping their lungs, keeping the blood, at what point does this become so painful to them, even psychologically, that they can no longer sustain it. You can encourage a person to a certain point, and then that is for them the breaking point. So I I think pray, encourage, console him, know that if he makes that choice uh, before God, it sounds like it's clear that he has that. Obviously, you can get your own pastoral guidance locally Mm -hmm. on 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 that and provide for it uh, if there are other means available to him than that but it's definitely a hard decision to make i've known people who've had to make that decision to keep their loved ones alive or to, if they're not if they're comatose or even themselves mm-hmm. uh, to accept death uh, when it seems certain and the the pain before that will come before it is is simply too great so I I don't know I I don't know how anybody can really console you in this situation, but to set those lines clear, um, and to you know hope and pray that uh, indeed that he recovers completely. Yeah, because God is good and He can grant a miracle, and we can ask our audience to to pray for him and for your family, uh, and to pray for you that you would be sustained through this trial. Uh, you know, whatever the ultimate outcome is. Colette, you and your husband will certainly be in our prayers here at EWTN. Thanks so much for your call. That opens up a line for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Let's go to Steve in California, listening on YouTube this afternoon. Steve, what's on your mind today? Um, Hello, gentlemen. I'm just wondering about... uh the previous host's uh, son, he's proud of him for uh, his athletic ability, MMA. But I played football, and I was wanted to know the church's teaching on these issues because of in 2015, Dr. Bennett Omalu, the film Concussion came out, 
and it's beyond doubt now what what MMA type things in football and all these contact sports are doing to people. Mm-hmm. I've had over thirty some surgeries. They stop counting after thirty. And I live in a lot of pain. I was just wondering what the church is teaching on situations, especially now that we know better. Okay, right. Uh, I well, there is. There's no necessity, obviously, that football or any contact sports should bring about this. It's unfortunately the case that certain kinds of contact during football uh, tend to do it, especially, I think, for linebackers and others who are going, you know, essentially head-to-head and shoulder-to-shoulder against other big guys. Uh, So there are a lot of, there's a lot of ifs and a lot of uncertainty in that. Uh, obviously, we all know that Catholic schools have no difficulty sponsoring football programs. Uh, and some of the greatest advocates, especially for reform of people in uh, maybe coming from poor circumstances, you can, re- you can see the movies and re- read the books about how different boxers were propelled along in different stages of their career by different priests encouraging them. But you make a very good point, and we don't know that we don't know for a fact. In fact, there has been a movement with regard to boxing that maybe this ought not to be morally acceptable uh, sport. Um, it's it, all it's all still in discussion, though. It it is, and that's been going on for I think I first heard of it in the '90s. And really, yeah. So the church has not made any firm denunciation of these kinds of things. It is clearly, obviously, there are great strong arguments if, you know, parents are concerned for their sons uh, in sports where their daughters are involved, where there's some danger as well, uh, then to make those convincing arguments. But as a blanket condemnation, uh, there hasn't uh, been anything from the church. You know, other than in warfare where you know you're going in and what the risks are quite clearly, in some cases even the greater probability that you won't come back than that you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nonetheless, we do that for good reasons. In the case of sports, there's clearly the element of choice. Uh, And so that that weighs into it. And so the individual, much like uh, the case of the sick person who has to decide their course of of, uh, treatment, uh, there's that element of choice of weighing on balance all the things that, all of the factors that go into you know playing that sport or in that profession or whatever it is. Uh, there, there, there's that element, but yeah, the church has yeah. not condemned in any way and said no that the risks are too great that no one can choose that. Uh, There you go. Steve, uh, certainly we're keeping you in our prayers as well. Thank you so much uh, for your call uh, this afternoon. I I don't know if you saw that movie, Concussion. No, I didn't. It was with uh, Will Smith, I believe it was. Mm Mm-hmm. Very powerful movie and and, uh, quite sobering, especially for people who, you know, in in many, uh, I mean, all over the world, there's great interest in in contact sports like Mm -hmm. football and my goodness, my wife Adrienne is uh, her her family is from Australia. If you've ever seen Australian football, it's even more brutal. And you know, at the age of thirty, those guys are done; they are absolutely done. Uh, and, and yet, people love it. They love it. Mm-hmm. The players love it. So there are no easy answers, are there? 
No, there there aren't, and I know uh, the the sports the the Commonwealth people play. You know, sure. from living in England, having yeah. been Canadian and living in England. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember in school playing rugby. Mm, you know, sure, about ten years old. It's a tough one. It was a tough game. You bet. <laughs> ten year old, I was glad that forty five minutes or whatever it was was over with, and as much as possible, I remained on the sidelines. Steve, thanks again for your call. In a moment, we'll talk with David in Cincinnati. We have a line open for you right now. By golly, that's why we call it Open Line, 833-288-EWTN is that number, 833-288-3986. Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan. Stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Glad you're with us for Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. Hey, our friends in Connecticut and Westchester and Long Island need to hear from you next week. Veritas Catholic Network, our great affiliate there in Connecticut, airing their spring pledge drive next week. So if you're listening in the New York metro area or anywhere, be sure to support your EWTN Catholic radio station. And we do have one line open for you right now if you want to uh, ask a question of Colin Donovan, 833-288-EWTN. Let's go to David now in Cincinnati, listening on the great Sacred Heart Radio, AM 740. David, what's on your mind today, sir? Thank you. Yes, in John chapter 6, of course, Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, there is no life in you. I have a hard time reconciling that with all of the Catholics and all of the Protestants and all of the God-fearing people in all over the world who don't believe in the real presence, mm-hmm. how how do I how can that? I just don't understand it. Sure, it, 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 you have to, you have to distinguish between the doctrine and the moral culpability of the individual in believing that doctrine. So we take something which has never been revoked by the church, but usually is one of the the uh, one of the big things which is off-putting for non-Catholics, and that is outside the church, no salvation. The claim that the Catholic Church is the univocal Church of Jesus Christ, in other words, outside of which there is no other, and which carries on the mission from Christ itself with the Constitution given the Church and the means, the sacraments given the Church, and the elaboration of the truth first given to the Apostles and elaborated through the help of the Holy Spirit over the centuries uh, in the Church. Yet, even there, the the moral teaching of the Church is quite clear that any individual who has not at some point accepted that as true mm-hmm. cannot obje- sin objectively, gravely, by not believing it. So you think of the many non-Catholic Christians who are baptized. They are united to Christ, and as the Church said at Vatican II, imperfectly uh, in a r- relationship and communion with his Church. Uh, they... Perhaps none. Some don't do baptism. That would be that would be any more of an issue than this. But the many baptized who they don't have a they don't have a church with valid orders, which is almost every which is everybody except the Orthodox and some of the ancient Eastern churches not in communion with Rome, and so they don't have a priesthood. They don't have sacrament. They uh, the Eucharist, confession, anointing, and so on. 
Uh, they have marriage because two baptized people marrying are the ministers of that, so you don't need the clergy for that. Uh, but they don't have uh, five of the sac uh, sacraments. But are they morally then responsible for it, including not eating the body and blood of Christ as he said was necessary? And the answer is probably not, uh, because they're brought up in a tradition that did not believe it, it pre and it predates them. It probably predates their great-grandparents yeah, and their great-great-grandparents yeah. in many cases or, you know, X number of generations. Uh, so they have no tradition of believing that or believing that the church has the authority to claim that. Once, however, and this is true of becoming a Catholic, once it dawns on you through the grace of God, the church is Christ's church, and the seven sacraments are Christ's sacraments that one needs for being saved through baptism, strengthening salvation through confirmation, feeding us spiritually throughout our life through the Eucharist, forgiving us when we trip and fall through our own fault in confession, anointing us when we're sick, to prepare us to meet the Lord, uh, witnessing our marriage in the sacrament of matrimony, and or, ordaining the clergy who are the servants of the rest of the church by bringing them the sacraments and pastoring them. Once you understand that as true, now you have a moral obligation before God to follow through on that. Yeah. So this element of invincible ignorance, which you often see in formulations of this in books, in Catholic teaching, and so on. Invincible ignorance is a hard to th thing to know when one is invincibly ignorant. Obviously, if you've never heard the truth, you're invincible of it. If you've heard the truth from people you believe to be liars, scoundrels, and servants of the devil and not the friends of Jesus, you're not likely to be... Uh, you know, convinced by it. Sure. Or by a church with priests who go after little boys and girls, and you're not going to be convinced by it. All kinds of obstacles in our intellect and in our will prevent us sometimes from accepting the truth. What we need to know is that the truth is not dependent on any of those things, but on the word of Jesus Christ who gave authority to the apostles, which is perpetuated today in both very holy men and scoundrels. Mm -hmm. And so therefore the sacraments aren't dependent upon whether they're holy men or scoundrels, but on the promise of Christ to the church. So there can be many reasons why even that 70% of Catholics, which is you know around the number largely alleged in most polls, don't believe. It can be by scandal and bad example. Mm. Uh, but it doesn't do anything to the truth of it, because it's true. Uh, and God will judge whether they are culpable because they've sort of looked away from the truth, a sort of a fake inculpability, or whether they're truly inculpable. Maybe as Catholics throughout their life, they had bad catechesis and they had bad example from everybody that they simply can't believe what they were told was true. Who's culpable that they don't believe in the Eucharist? them 
or the people who misled them throughout their life. So God will judge those things. We don't have to. We just have to believe that the things which Christ taught and which the church teaches in his name are true. And knowing that, knowing that, do them. Confess for the forgiveness of sins. Receive him in the Holy Eucharist for the strengthening of our mind and our will and our moral courage to be faithful and the others and to to practice that till the, our last of days. So that's God will judge that. And it's very hard sometimes even for the individual to judge their moral culpability into why you know, why I don't believe that you know, the Eucharist is quite what it is. Or the Pope is infallible. Give me a break. And there's lots can be said on that. There's a lot of ink spent on when he's infallible. Sure. But nonetheless, some just say, give me a break. I don't believe that mm-hmm. nonsense. No man is infallible. Well, <laughs> go to the scriptures. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow... Um, that's that's how we can say that on the one hand and know on the other hand that God is merciful and will judge justly whether or not they have violated that thing which the Son of God himself pronounced in, in that address uh, uh, communicated in John 6. Great call there, David. Thanks so much for checking in in Cincinnati. And it's uh, Open Line Friday here on EWTN. And a question now from Allison in Brighton, Michigan, listening on Ave Maria Radio. Hello, Allison. Happy Friday. What's on your mind today? Hi. Um, I had a quick question um, about cemeteries, actually, and what's the proper etiquette. Um, when I bring a child there, um, I, we were there paying Grandpa some respects and mm-hmm. praying for the dead. Um, but we were all on the path, but he had a little strider bike. So I was trying to keep up with him and praying at the same time. Um, I didn't know if that was truly appropriate, because I know you're not really supposed to, you're supposed to be silent, and it's a place of reverence, um, and I don't know the proper etiquette for that. Um, are you able to, to walk or jog um, or ride a starter bike through the cemetery, or what should, is that considered a <laughs> sin of some sort? You know, okay. I don't know well. what the... Etiquette. All right. Yeah, well, it probably wouldn't be considered a sin for you, but I think you're asking it as a sin for you not to <laughs> grab him and pull him off the bike. <laughs> uh, well, on the, one, uh, on the one hand, yes, it's maybe not the proper etiquette. I have a neurologically challenged child who we go to visit grandma and grandpa who are buried nearby, my parents. Uh, he likes to run around. There's all that grass, those trees, the flowers. I mean, it's it's a it's a beautiful area it's a theme park for him he loves doing that and i think i think the people who are there are more accurately not there but wherever they are yes uh and god understand that and i has the tolerance you know jesus himself said let the little children come under me yeah uh so i uh, so i think yeah maybe may encourage him to run around and rather than uh do his bike but a little bike but i think ultimately um you know, ultimately, the Lord will understand. Uh, but no, it, it's probably not the best eti- etiquette. And uh, I'm guilty as charged, perhaps, for letting that go on just because, you know, spe- special children get special permission sure, sometime. And you sure. hate to say, you know, don't do that. But that's hard for the parents to do sometimes. Appreciate that, Allison. Uh, thank you so much for your call. It is Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. Uh, We can probably get uh, one or two more phone calls in before we have to uh, close up shop here in the next uh, 15 minutes or so. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-8255. 
288-3986. Monday night on The Journey Home at 8 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio and Television, Jeremy Christensen. He's the author of From the Susquehanna to the Tiber, sharing his journey from the Latter-day Saints to the Catholic Church. Check it out Monday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern only on EWTN Radio and Television. And that is quite a journey. Yeah, I, okay, I'm, the reference there is that is that sounds like in Pennsylvania. Is this where the well, that's or Missouri or I didn't know there was a connection with Susquehanna, which is goes through Pennsylvania. Yeah, I didn't know there was a connection there with the Mormon Church. But maybe uh, not. Maybe he is from Susquehanna, and he's oh, saying that could be to the Tiber. Could be know. fascinating. That's probably what it is. Quite a journey in any event. If you're going you know, from the Mormon Church, yeah, yeah, which is not con- by by Rome is not considered a Christian church. We don't accept their baptism mm-hmm. uh, just because they have a different concept of God and a different uh, of Jesus as well. Yeah. Uh, they speak of Him and uh, they use the Bible after their own fashion and. Uh, should God be bless a, him. Yeah, should be a very interesting program. Check it out Monday evening, 8 p.m. Eastern, right here on EWTN. Let's go now to Mary, a first-time caller from North Dakota, listening on the great Real Presence Radio. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today? Hi. Um, my dad is 99. He, he lives mm-hmm. with us, and he recently had a, a urinary tract infection, and he has had them pretty commonly the last three or four years, so... I recognized the symptoms right away, and he gets so weak that we had to call the ambulance mm-hmm. to come and take dad. And the ambulance crew was um, initially very hesitant to take my dad in because when they asked him if he wanted to go to the, to the emergency room, he said, no. I said, no, I do not want to go. My symptoms aren't that bad, and he was mm-hmm. a little bit adamant about it. But I said that, A, I have medical power of attorney. And B, that I wasn't going to just sit here and watch my father possibly die Mm -hmm. because I didn't take him in for antibiotics. Sure, yeah. And so at that point, they they brought Dad to the hospital, and it was, um, he always needs the IV antibiotics. The infection went into his bloodstream. Um, It takes a lot out of him. He never, Mm -hmm. ever gets fully back, you know, his strength and stuff. Um, And so... During this, one of my siblings had talked to their parish priest and had said, you know, at what point can you not treat something like a urinary tract infection? Mm -hmm. And my sister was told that at no point in time are you required to take antibiotics for for things like this. And I wasn't sure if that was quite right. And my other dilemma is, Dad is not on hospice care right now, but he he may be eventually, Mm -hmm. and I believe that, um, at least from the experience we had with my mom, they're very reluctant or hesitant to treat things like urinary tract infections. Is that morally acceptable? And then my last question, which I just will need prayers for, I don't think you're, but if you do have an answer, I'll take it, is at what point, I'm really concerned that at some point I might make the wrong decision regarding this stuff just because it's so overwhelming at times mm-hmm. and so tired. Yeah. And so those are my questions. Sure. Um, yeah, you're between the proverbial rock and the hard place. Um, you know, I think one is, you have to question, ask, is what is truly his mind? Uh, it may be that in his 
with his age and everything, that that's not reliable. Uh, the fact that you have medical power of attorney doesn't necessarily uh, indicate that. But, you, you know, I think you would probably know the answer to that, whether uh, he is exercising right judgment or, you know, simply doesn't want the inconvenience of, of going. Medically, that would probably be altogether considered, you know, ordinary care, but that's not the standard for the church because anything, even ordinary care under the conditions which I mentioned earlier, things like expense, that's probably not the case, but uh, I could see where you can, you can, you can imagine a situation where millions of dollars and you don't have insurance on mm -hmm. it. So you're looking, you don't, it doesn't sound like you're destituting the family by this care. That could be one way in which expense would excuse somebody. But the sorrow and the difficulty, uh, that would be probably what is entering into this in the pastor's mind or the priest that you talk to, uh, that, you know, some people, older people may express that in different ways. Uh, my dad was 91 when he passed at uh, the home where, uh, in, in our house uh -huh. uh, here, in, uh, here in Irondale. And, you know, he was on hospice, and with respect to that question, you're right. Once you're on hospice, if you go off of it, like by going to the hospital or something like that, uh, Medicare, for example, you know, they're not going to pay for that. Yeah, yeah. So they, they have rules about what they'll pay for once you're on hospice and what, what your coverage, at least under Medicare, is. So mm -hmm. that, that is a bit of a problem. But the, the treatment issue is, yes, it, it's probably that if he were to make the decision that this is just too burdensome for him, mm -hmm. he would like to just let the disease take its course. Um, I've heard of older people expressing, well, I'll go to be with my, my wife or my husband, as the case would be, or with our Lord. Uh, that would be his choice. The question is, the difficult one for you, if you are properly exercising medical power of attorney and trying to follow as best you can what his will be would be even if he's not thinking correctly. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's the difficult question here. Um, and ultimately, you're the only one who can make it, but it sounds like you likely have grounds to make it, as you were told. But the, the ultimate criteria morally for exercising uh, abandoning uh, ordinary care in extraordinary circumstances, if you will, uh, is going to be one of those one of those elements. And when you gauge that it truly is such a burden to him and so sorrowful to him and maybe even so painful to him that he simply doesn't want to do this again and again and again, that's that's the critical point. Answering that question is when. When you think that would be his mind, if he were in right mind, assuming that he might not be now, but yeah. if he were in right mind, what would be his mind on this? That's the standard of judgment for a medical proxy in Catholic teaching, the mind of the, of the person they're the proxy for, not their own mind, yeah. not the doctor's mind, not the hospital's mind the mind of the person, what if they could clearly mm -hmm. express their will unencumbered by everything they would do in that situation. She was also concerned about her own culpability. You know, am I making the right decision? Well, you do your best, right? 
Right. You make a morally certain decision. Nobody on the planet probably in that situation makes an absolutely certain decision. Right, right. But you're only obliged to moral certainty before God and the church. So you yeah. make the best you can, and then at that point you, uh, you, well, you, you hold yeah, to it. Yeah. You hold to it. Mary, we're praying for you and for your dad as well. Thanks so much for your call. Here is Jacob now, a first-time caller from San Diego, listening on YouTube. Jacob, what's on your mind today, sir? Hello? Hey, Jacob. Yes. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call today. Um, my question is a short one. Uh, mm-hmm. So how, how are we able to reconcile God's justice um, with His mercy? Uh, sure. Well, they're directed towards uh, two different categories of people, for starters. The judgment is for those who are their own gods and couldn't care less what the, war, the law of God is, or and then there will be judgment, whereas mercy is directed to the person who is sorrow, sorry mm. for uh, the, the offenses they've committed against God, against neighbor, against spouse, against family, against inclined clients, against their employer, against their employees, whatever category of person. Uh, So that's the difference. Uh, And it would not be mercy if they were, you know, admitted to his presence. He said, oh, shucks, you're a good, basically a good fellow, you know, come into, you know, come into the kingdom. No. Judgment is exercised toward those who will really have nothing to do of God. And, and many have said this. I know uh, Mother Angelica often mentioned this, and that is they're making the decision. God is committed to giving us our free will, and the last act of our free will will be for or against God, and we will live with it forever. That's what we do. Jacob, thanks so much for your call. It is Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. Ioannis is watching us on YouTube this afternoon. Ioannis says, why do we pray that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ? Can we be worthy of grace? And if so, when? (laughs) Basically, we can't. Uh, Grace is given to us gratuitously by God. Mm Mm-hmm. But obviously it's conditioned on our openness, the very point I just made that uh, God gave us free will and he will not force us to accept eternal life and joy with him. He will do that at the end and he does it along the way with us as well. And so we pray that we will have the grace, we will be faithful to Christ and the promises of Christ. The greatest promise, of course, is forgiveness and the ultimate forgiveness of being welcomed into the kingdom forgiveness for all the sins of our whole life and and being a judge worthy of the kingdom because we've been faithful to the graces throughout our life that we've been offered us or even at the end of life if that's the only moment when we truly understand the the scope of how we have lived and we say i am sorry you know, even at the end of life a horrible life can end well and uh, that's always something to keep in mind so i I think we we pray for that, for the grace of fidelity and fortitude to the end, Mm -hmm. that along the way we will be worthy to the the graces that are promised to us who turn to him, and that ultimately these uh, acts of fidelity will win for us at the end that greatest grace of all, and that is the, uh, the grace of perfect and complete reconciliation with the Father in eternity. Non-refundable, 
have it forever. Yeah. And as you were saying earlier in the program, uh, keep plugging away because none of us know the day or the time. No, we don't. And that's a very good consideration, too. Yeah. We don't know the day or the time. Yeah. And that's always be faithful in the moment because you don't know whether that'll be your last one or not. Yeah, that's right. We'll probably close with this one from Andrew. I was having a discussion with an Anglican friend. He asked if Marian devotion was necessary to salvation. How do I reply? Objectively, it's necessary. Uh, you imagine, well, I, I, no, I won't go there. Okay. I, I was going to tell you an exorcism story that oh, I'm familiar okay. with. I've done it. I've done it on the program before. Okay. But, um, the, the element here that is missing is what is the, what is God's will? Mm -hmm. He willed this woman from all eternity to be the mother of the human nature of the second person become man also from all eternity. Is Mary entitled to our honor? And if she's entitled to our honor, is she entitled to our devotion for her consent and absolute fidelity throughout her life. Because even though she was immaculately conceived, Adam and Eve were immaculately created and they blew it. Yeah. She maintained that moral purity, that holiness throughout her life to the end of her life. So the objective that's the objective basis. Subjectively as we've discussed on several uh, of the calls and questions today, and mm -hmm. that is there is always that element of the culpability of the individual. Uh, Catholics obviously have a greater obligation because the church teaches Marian devotion incessantly. Uh, her lady herself comes and works miracles to demonstrate her role of salvation in salvation. At Guadalupe with the miraculous image, at Lourdes with the miraculous spring, at Fatima with the miracle of the sun which exceeds all yes. scientific explanation. Yes. So that's for a reason. She has this role at the side of her son, not overpowering him, not displacing him, but fulfilling all that the Father willed in the economy of salvation for the world and for us. And for that we des she deserves our unlimited gratitude. And love. And love. Absolutely. Andrew, that's something you can convey to your uh, Anglican friend there. Thank you so much uh, for your email. And uh, Colin Donovan, hope you have a wonderful weekend. I hope I do too. Tell them to go to Walsingham, yeah. where the Anglicans go and actually have the original shrine in their custody. Good point. I'm Tom Price. On behalf of our great team here, we will see you next time on Open Line. God bless. Yeah.